Hey there, I'm Lauren Hicks, pastor of Pacific Christian Center in Santa Maria, California. Thank you for joining us for today's podcast. It's my prayer that this message strengthens your faith and draws you closer to God. Now enjoy today's message. If you have a Bible app on your phone, feel free to power that up at this time if you'd like to follow along with us. If you don't have a Bible, we'd like to give you a Bible. We have them out uh, in the four-year stop by the Connection Center. We're so glad you're here today. Welcome, everybody. I don't know if they did this already um, or not. I was out out for a bit back here. (laughs) But uh, if you're a guest here today, we want to welcome you. Thank you so much for being here today. Maybe you're watching online locally uh, or somewhere across the country or even globally, you're watching Uh, this video welcome and we would invite you if you're here on the central coast if you're here in Santa Maria to come be a part of one of our services live we're so thankful for the technology to broadcast live and for us to to go back and to watch these services again and to hear these messages again we're so grateful for that but there's nothing like being in the room can I get an amen everybody nothing nothing like nothing like being in the room so we want to invite you to come and we'll invite you to be a part of what the Lord is doing in our church Today we begin a new message series simply called Own the Vision. Own the Vision. I believe that the Lord has given our church not only a mission, but that God has given our church a vision. And I'll talk about the distinction of those two things in in just a moment. But God's given us a vision. And today, uh, as I start this message series, it's a four-part series as we start this message series over and over over the course of the next four weeks we're going to invite you to own the vision we're going to invite you to join with us because we believe what god has for us to do here in santa maria and orkin on the central coast and even globally what the lord has for us to do is so great it's going to take all of us it's going to take all of us and so we're going to ask you unashamedly to buy into the vision Because it's not Pacific Christian's vision. It's not the Assemblies of God vision. It's not even Pastor Lauren's vision. It's the vision that the Lord has given us. It's God's vision for his church. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to ask you to buy in. We're going to ask you to buy in with your heart. We're going to ask you to buy in with your soul. We're going to ask you to buy in with your time and your resources and your gifts and your abilities. We're going to ask you to be all in for the vision that the Lord has given our church because it's a great vision. And today I want to start the first part of this vision series, the first part simply titled, We Are Passionate About the Gospel. And so all four weeks in this series, you'll hear us, the sermon titles will start with the phrase, we are, because they describe who we are. As a church, we are passionate about the gospel. Can I remind you that the church belongs to Jesus? It belongs to, the big church belongs to Jesus and the local church belongs to Jesus. The church belongs to Jesus. The church is not an invention of man. Sometimes I hear people say, you know, I like Jesus, but you know, church is just something that man started. No, no, no. Jesus himself said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So it, we got to be reminded today that the church is not the invention of man. The church is the invention of God. What we're doing here today is in the mind of God. What we're doing here today was in the heart of God. This was his vision that we would come together in unity, that we would be a body, that we would share life together and serve him together and encourage one another together and preach the gospel and reach a community for Jesus and make a difference that was in the heart of God. 
but the church belongs to Jesus. It's so important for us to remember that because sometimes we get in the way. Sometimes we may not say it, but we begin to act and to operate as if the church is our church. And sometimes we even say, you know, over at my church, or I'll be at a pastor's meeting and I might say, you know, at my church, <laughs> and we use that in vocabulary, but the truth is it's not my church. It's never been or never will be my church. It's Jesus's church. And since the church belongs to Jesus, Jesus and only Jesus has a right to define why his church exists. Today I see churches doing all kinds of things and it's all in an effort to do good things and churches are involved in lots of different types of ministries and lots of outreaches and lots of programs and lots of, of things. There's so much that we can and could do if we should choose to do. But I, I think it's so important that since it's not our church, we should ask Jesus what he would have us to do with his church. I think it's important for us to let him define the mission, which answers the question of why church exists. Maybe you say, why 84 years ago did Charles Dobbins become the pastor of this church and get a few folks together and start calling this church? Back in those days, it was called First Assembly of God. Over the years, we became, how many any First AG people were around? Anybody back in those? Some of you were here when it was First Assembly of God. And over the years, we got a name change. Now we're a Pacific Christian Center. But what compelled them to start this church? It was because God had given them his mission. And that mission comes right out of Scripture. You know, right before Jesus ascended back to the Father, uh, shortly after the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, he's talking with his followers and speaking to us here as well. And he gives them what we call today the Great Commission. The Great Commission. And that commission, Jesus said, is to make disciples of all nations, baptizing them just like we did today, in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And to teach them to observe or to obey all the things that Jesus taught. That's the mission. That's why the church exists. You could pray this Tuesday for Pastor Phil. I see him back in the audience here. Pastor Phil is going to the country of Guatemala in in Central America to preach the gospel for, a, for a, a little, about a week this past week. And I want, you to pray, I want you to pray for Pastor Phil while he's gone. What are we doing? We're making, we're obeying the commission of Jesus. We're making disciples in all nations. And there's lots of ways as a church we do this. Financially, we support missionaries all over the globe because of your generosity, because of your giving. We are able to come alongside missionaries, I mean, all over the globe to plant the church and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And strategically, we are focused as a church on taking the gospel in places where it's not being preached, where there are people who have not heard the gospel. The new missionaries we bring on usually are with that filter in mind that we want to take the gospel where Jesus' name has not yet been proclaimed. How many of you think everybody deserves to hear about Jesus? Because if you're new here, if you're new here, you need to know that this is a church that loves this community deeply. I love Santa Maria. I love Orchid. Back Linda and I were talking about this last night. I'm asking God to help me to love this. This is my prayer, honestly. Asking God to help me to love this community more, to love this city, to love the people of here, to do everything I can. My prayer is Santa Maria for Jesus. I want to see as many people. I get emotional in the baptistry because that's why I came to Santa Maria, to do that. That's why I came here, to preach the gospel, to see people saved, see people coming to the kingdom of God. That's why we're here. Vision then answers the question of how will you carry out the mission? So all the churches have the same mission or should have all the same mission if they embrace the mission of Jesus. But vision is how a particular local church will carry out that vision. It answers the question of where we're going. And God might lead 
different churches to do different things. You've seen this, haven't you? You've been to other churches, maybe you used to go to another church or maybe grew up in a different church. You went on vacation to another church and you say, well, they do it a little bit different than Pacific Church. They do this and that's okay because God gives each local church a vision of how they will carry out the mission of Jesus. But we want to start this series. When we ask you to buy something, to own something, not buy with money, but to buy into something, I want you to hear the heart of our church. I want you to hear my heart as a pastor. I want you to hear the heart of our Savior when he gives us this mission. The first part of it is that we are passionate about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are passionate about the gospel. Our prayer is that we center our church around knowing Jesus, that knowing Jesus really is all that matters. So every idea we have at a staff meeting, every ministry that we start, every new initiative must be run through the filter. Does this help people know Jesus? You see, we don't have time to involve ourselves in lots of things that don't matter in eternity. I know there's a lot of good things we can be involved in, a lot of things we can do, but we only have a little time left, friends, and we must make sure that what we do counts for eternity. That's the filter by which we're going to operate we're passionate about the gospel. You know, someday we're going to stand before God. Did you know that someday you're going to stand before God? The Bible says it's appointed unto man once to die. Hate to tell you that, but you have an appointment. <laughs> and I hope it's a long time away from today. God gives you a long and full life to serve him. But there's an appointment for all of us. It's appointed unto man once to die, but after that the judgment. After that we will stand before the Lord. And the only question that will matter on that day is, what did you do with Jesus? The only question that will matter on that day is, did you know Jesus? That's, that's the only question that will matter. He won't, we won't stand before him and, and, and he won't say, did you build a big business? He won't say, how much money did you have? He won't say, did you get three cars and did you get a boat? He won't say that. He won't say that. The only thing that's going to matter on that day is, what did you do with my son? Do you know Jesus? And so is a church. And I need your help with this. Let's make sure everything we do points to people knowing Jesus. It's our primary reason for existence. All of our programs, all of our ministries, all of our departments, all of our activities should help fulfill that purpose. And when they don't, when they don't, or if they become ineffective, listen, church, we must eliminate them. And that's important and that's hard for us to do because we might fall in love with certain activities of the church and we might fall in love with certain ministries of the church and maybe you were there when we helped start that ministry but don't you feel like we ought to evaluate every ministry of the church and we ought to ask ourselves the question, does this help people find Jesus? Does it help people know Jesus? And if it doesn't, let's divert those resources, that time and those people towards activities that are going to count for eternity. That's a good place to say amen, everybody. Good place to say amen. So our vision is to do everything we can to help people have an encounter with Jesus. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? That's a meeting. Have you had a meeting with Jesus? You see, when we meet with Jesus, our lives are going to be changed. The New Testament paints a picture for us as you read the Gospels, and I hope that you have read them or you're reading them. The Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Mark, Luke, and John, these are the eyewitness testimonies of the life, ministry, teaching, miracles of Jesus. It tells the story of his death, his resurrection, his ascension. The story of Jesus is found in the first four books of the New Testament. And we should read these stories and learn from the life of Christ. But the New Testament paints a picture for us of crowds that followed Jesus. And we see this in the Gospels that everywhere Jesus went, there was a lot of people because it was exciting. 
You never knew what Jesus was going to say. You never knew what was going to happen from one day to the next. You never knew what miracle Jesus was going to perform. Even one day he'd heal a blind man. The next day, you know, he'd heal a crippled person. And the next day he might raise somebody from the dead. A couple of times Jesus even fed everybody. They liked that. One time Jesus said, the only reason you're following me is for the fish and the loaves. <laughs> Because we had a good lunch yesterday, right? One time he fed 5,000. I think another time he fed 4,000 miraculously. But I think you would agree if you're a Bible reader that there is a distinction between the crowd and the real followers. There's a difference between the crowd that's watching and observing as this show makes its way through town. There's a difference in those folks than there were the disciples, and we might ask, what is the difference? What's the distinction between the large gathering, the large crowd, and that smaller group of people that would be called the disciples? And the difference is the disciples had met Jesus. They'd had an encounter with Jesus. This encounter changed their lives. And today, there are a lot of people in 2023 who are fascinated with Jesus. They like the teaching of Jesus. Some of them even attend church because they want to hear more about Jesus. They certainly want his blessings. I mean, I never met a person who didn't want to be blessed by God. They may even give mental assent or agreement to truths about him. But in reality, they are still lost in their sins. They're in the crowd. But they're not saved. They're in the crowd gathered around because they have not had an encounter with Jesus. And I suppose the most important question I could ask you today is, have you met Jesus? Have you met Jesus? Do you know Jesus? I didn't say, do you know some Bible stuff? Or you went to church? You went to Sunday school with grandma? That's not, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, do you know, sir, ma'am, young person, do you know Jesus? Have you received his grace and mercy? Have you come to the place where you admit that you are a sinner and there's nothing you can do about that? Have you repented of your sins and asked him to forgive you? Have you opened the door of your heart and your life and asked him to come in? That's what those 16 people have done. They opened the door of their heart and their life and asked Jesus to come in. I asked them the question, is it your desire to serve Jesus all the days of your life? And every one of them, you heard their confession of faith. They said, yes. And some of them, I don't know if you could see it, but some of them couldn't wait to get in that water. I was trying to put them down. They were just like about to jump in the water. I mean, some of them. I love it, don't you? I love it. I love it. Let me tell you a story about a man who had an encounter with Jesus in just a few moments that we have here today. John chapter 3, verse number 1, the Bible says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. And he came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. And Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are, say it with me, born again. How can someone be born when they are old, Nicodemus asked. Surely, you can hear him laughing, surely you cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb to be born. Jesus answered, very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You must not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases and you hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone born of the spirit. Nicodemus is scratching his head, how can this be? 
You are Israel's teacher, said Jesus, and you do not understand these things? Very truly, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen, but, you, you, but still you people do not accept the testimony. I've spoken to you of earthly things and you do not believe. How then will you believe if I speak of heavenly things? No one has ever gone into heaven except the one who comes from heaven, the Son of Man. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. And maybe the most famous verse in all the Bible. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world. Oh, isn't that, isn't that good? He did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and his only son. In John chapter 3, we're introduced to a man named Nicodemus. We haven't seen him in scripture before this chapter. After the sun goes down and night has fallen and people have left their places of work and they've left the marketplace, the streets are mostly empty. From the shadows, Nicodemus steps out because he has an appointment with Jesus. Why wait until after dark? And the answer is, it's because Nicodemus is afraid to be seen publicly with Jesus. Nicodemus was well known in Jerusalem. In fact, he was famous Nicodemus was a, a member of the Sanhedrin, which was the supreme court of the Jewish people. Many of Nicodemus' colleagues are set against Jesus because they fear that he's trying to raise up a rebellion that might bring the wrath of Rome down on Israel. But Nicodemus isn't sure. There's something about Jesus. I can imagine that Nicodemus has listened to the teaching of Jesus from a distance. He's heard, he's seen reports the miracles, it's coming to him, and yet he's just not sure. Because here's a guy that has studied religion his whole life. From the time that he could speak and begin to understand his parents, he was taught in the Jewish law. He had memorized large quantities of scripture. He had built his life on Judaism. But he's so curious about Jesus that he's willing to sneak out under the cover of darkness for what seems to be like a clandestine meeting with Jesus. And he really wants to ask one question. There's one question that's nagging him that he just can't seem to get a hold of. Jesus, who are you? Who are you? And Nic Nicodemus now, he's not used to these kinds of meetings. I mean... <laughs> Nicodemus is not a guy who makes appointments. He's the kind of guy who people make an appointment with. And he's certainly not used to sneaking around after dark. I mean, if you want to come see me, you can come see me in my office. Nicodemus is a man who's esteemed. He's climbed the ranks. He has position. He has influence and authority and respect, and he's earned all of that. But tonight, Nicodemus comes as a seeker. I'm guessing he's rehearsed the speech in his mind a hundred times before coming to meet with Jesus. Now, what will I say? What will I say? I'm guessing he's practiced his speech and he's going to meet with a man who speaks about the kingdom of God and, and a man who heals the sick and performs incredible, incredible miracles. How would he address him? And so Nicodemus settles on a safe title, rabbi. It means teacher. 
that's, you know, shows respect, but it doesn't give Jesus too much credibility. He's just not sure. So he settles on teacher. And they meet together, and as the scripture records, they get right into the conversation. And in verse 2, Nicodemus says, Rabbi, we know that you're a teacher who's come from God because nobody can do what you're doing. I'm confused by all this. Where do you get the power to perform these miracles? How can you speak with such eloquence? Where did you come from? Who are you? And it's as if Jesus ignores the conversation, whether it's sincerity or flattery from Nicodemus, we don't know, but Jesus ignores that and gets right to the heart of the matter. To, to the real reason why Nicodemus meets with Jesus at night, the real question that's in Nicodemus's heart, and Jesus says in John chapter 3, verse 3, very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And you can hear Nicodemus chuckle. <laughs> I wasn't expecting that kind of response. Born, born again? What are you talking about, man? I mean, he says, how, what am I supposed to do? Go back inside my mother's womb and be born again? Is that what I'm supposed to do? I mean, what a weird thought. <laughs> but Jesus gets straight to the point. Nicodemus, you're a religious man. You know all about God, but you don't know God. More than anybody else, perhaps, you know all about God. You know, all, you know the Old Testament law. You know all the stories of Moses and the children of Israel. You know all of that, but you don't know God. You see, what Nicodemus was doing, what so many people are doing today, pursuing salvation through their own efforts. It wasn't something that people did 2,000 years ago. Did you know today... In 2023, people are still pursuing salvation through their own efforts. That if I can, they just bought into an idea because it seems logical to us. It seems natural to us. That if I can get my act together, you know, I know I've got some stuff. you got some stuff. We all got some stuff. How many of you got some stuff? Right. We, we all got some stuff. And, I, and, and it's back there, and I'm trying to get away from that, and I'm trying to put that behind me, and I'm, I'm turning a new leaf, and I'm becoming a new man, and I'm going I'm to do better, I'm going I'm to clean up my act, I'm going to look better, act better, smell better, and do better. And then maybe when I get to heaven, if my better is better than my bad, then maybe God will let me in, into heaven. And that's the reality for millions and millions of people around the world today. That's what they're attempting. That's what Nicodemus was pursuing trying to be a good person, trying to do the right things. But on this night, he learns that salvation can only come when you are born again. Jesus clarifies the issue. It can only happen when you are born again. It's the only way anybody can ever be saved. It's the only way anybody can ever be forgiven of their sins. It's the only way anybody can ever go to heaven. You must be, Jesus said, born again. You've had a physical birth, or you wouldn't be in the room today. But have you had a spiritual birth? That when we receive the grace of God and we put our faith in Jesus and we do what those baptism uh, candidates did a moment ago and, and we confess our, with our mouth Jesus Christ is Lord and we believe in our heart that Jesus died on the cross and rose again as payment for our sins, the Bible says you will be saved. You are born again. That's the beginning. That's a spiritual birth. But if you and I had lived in this time, it's very likely that we would have thought that Nicodemus was a godly man. We would have thought, surely Nicodemus is going to heaven. Look how religious he is. Nicodemus goes to church every Sunday. 
Nicodemus gives his tithe every Sunday. Nicodemus serves. Nicodemus is a life group leader. We would have thought, surely this man's going to heaven. Look how religious he is. But Jesus is so clear with Nicodemus. He says, religion and good behavior is not what saves us. You must be born again. You know, sometimes I'll hear people say to me, well, you know, Pastor Lauren, I'm basically a good person. I love the word basically. <laughs> Qualifier, you know. Basically, I'm a good person. And, and, and people tried that with Jesus one time in the New Testament. If you remember the scripture, and Jesus was quick to say, only God is good. Only God is good. So when people come to me and say, you know, basically, Pastor Lauren, I'm a good person. I'm thinking, either you're not telling the truth or you're God. And I've been around you. And you're not God. So that means you're not telling the truth. But I know what they mean, don't you? Uh, because we've, we've said this. They're, they're, what they're saying is, I'm trying to be kind. I'm, I'm trying to be a more decent person. I'm trying to put some old bad habits away, become respectable and be a good person. But we must see that if we are trying to make ourselves, oh, hear me this morning. If we are trying to make ourselves acceptable to God by being a good person, the Bible takes that option away from us. Hear the pastor this morning. The Bible takes that option away from us. It's not possible. You see, all the religions of the world teach that you gain salvation by good works. But what God does is he leaves the glory of heaven, comes down to pay our debt of sin because we couldn't possibly pay it ourselves. Everyone needs a Savior. Elbow somebody and tell them you need a Savior. Come on. Everybody, and now elbow the person on the other side, tell them too. So I don't even know them, but it doesn't matter. They need a savior. Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter three, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Who has sinned? All, all have sinned. Romans chapter three, verse 10 says, as it is written, for there is none righteous, not even one. Nobody, nobody gets through this life without sinning. Nobody, nobody does. David said, I was conceived in iniquities and I was born a sinner. I have a sinful nature. If you're a parent in this room, you know that your children are little sinners. You know it. I mean, it's about two years old. You ask them, did you take the cookie? What do they say? crumbs all over their face no one ever sat them down and taught them how to lie it's in here we are born with a sinful nature everybody needs a savior but listen what i'm trying to share with you today we're passionate about the gospels of church why because only an encounter with jesus will save us and people today are depending on lots of stuff like religion won't save you and philosophy won't save you and Secularism won't save you. Even moralism, like trying to do good, won't save us. But Paul would say in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. That's the heart of the gospel. That Jesus took your place. Jesus paid your penalty. Sin, because God is 
holy. God is loving and merciful. He's also just. Sin has to be, justice has to be performed. There has to be justice. If somebody sins against your family, you're going to demand justice. If somebody harms my daughters, I have three daughters, I'm going to cry out for justice. And if I don't get it, I might go get it myself. You know what I'm saying? At least I'd be tempted to. And it, come on, dad's in the house. I'd be, I'd be tempted. You'll help me, won't you? Right? We'll go, we'll go get justice. I thought of a funny joke, but I got to move on. We've sinned against a holy and a righteous God. We must see that. It's sin. It's not a mistake. It's not, you know, I got this struggle I'm dealing with. You know, I got some issues. We try to make sin palatable. But when we make sin less than what it is, we make the grace of God less than what it is. We make the blood of Jesus less than what it is. Let's call it for what it is. It's sin. We are sinners. And we need the grace of God. We need the mercy and the forgiveness of God. And Jesus went to the cross while we were sinners. You see, it wasn't when you cleaned your act up that God thought, now he's worthy of me dying for. No, when you were at your worst, Jesus loved you the most. Nicodemus was religious, but he didn't have a relationship with God. A lot of folks like that today. Nicodemus was religious, but he was still spiritually hungry. Because religion in and of itself, man's effort, which is what religion is, man's effort can't satisfy that spiritual need that God put in us. Only God can satisfy that himself. Nicodemus was religious, but he was willing to have an encounter with Jesus. I was thinking, I think I've showed you this picture before. I was thinking about my first car. Can you put that up on the screen, everybody? Can, can you guys put that next slide up? Do we, do we have it today? There it is. So that's my first car. I'm proud of that car. I bought that when I was 17 years old with my own money, my, the sweat in my own hands. And that's, a, that's in front of my grand, grandparents' house. What a handsome dude. I was thinking about that picture. I was thinking, you know, what was going through my mind? I was probably thinking, you know, hey, girl. You know. I got wheels. You want to go to Taco Bell? Something, something like that. Probably, probably something like that. No. Actually, I was so shy, I probably wouldn't even have talked to a girl at 17. But. 1979 Dotson Station Wagon, a.k.a. the Yellow Banana. You know, I thought about that car. I, I could have had it repainted. I could have put a... You know, Scott, I could have put a strap down that thing and got fancy tires. I could have spent a lot of money. I could have got a, what do they call it, Pioneer stereo system. I could have got a fancy stereo system. What if I'd have put big speakers in the back and you could hear me coming down the block, right? You know, I could have done all that. I could have spent a lot of money on that car, but at the end of the day, it's still a 1979 Datsun. <laughs> you can fix up the outside, but on the inside, it's still a Datsun. Now, I understand those cars are worth a lot of money now. I wish I, I, wish I had that car now. You see, the point is we need to be fixed on the inside. A lot of folks are working on the outside. If I can get my act together, if I can stop being so angry, if I can stop being so reactive, you know, maybe you've got some bad habits, if I can stop doing this or that, I clean myself up. But what, what needs to happen is on the inside. 
And it's amazing that when we meet Jesus and he comes on the inside, how he begins to work on the outside and the outside gets all clean. How many of you have been changed because Jesus is on the inside? And, and he's still changing us, amen? He's still changing us. And we're not who we were, but we're not who we're going to be, amen? So the question then is what happened to Nicodemus? We turn the page in the Bible and it's like the story goes on. Right now we're talking about somebody else. What happened? Do we, do we have any other words about Nicodemus in the Bible? And there's a reference. And if you're not careful, you might just read this and not even think about it. But in John chapter 19, we read the words about Jesus' burial after his crucifixion. Here's what the Bible says. Later, this is after Jesus died on the cross. Later, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body of Jesus away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, who, the man who had earlier visited Jesus at night. The man who would not let his face be seen in public with Jesus now is the man that's assisting to take the body of Jesus off the cross and give him a burial. Now, he didn't know the resurrection was coming in just a couple of days. But boy, this man has moved a long ways, hasn't he? Why? Because one night he met Jesus. And I love this story because it describes how an encounter with Jesus changes a person's life. And this room is filled with stories just like this. The worship team is coming. We're going to close. A while back, there was a story on social media that went viral. You might have seen it. It was a story about a man who one night got a, a traffic citation, got pulled over by the police, just like some of you. <laughs> pulled over by the police. <laughs> and the lights are back there. But the, that's, you know, those stories don't go viral, right? Because that's an everyday story. But the reason it went viral is because this family was struggling. It was a, a man and his wife and a young child in a car seat in the back. And the man had recently been, had been laid off his job and they were struggling financially. And when it came to pay the car insurance and the registration that was due, the couple had a conversation. They didn't have the money. It came down to, are we going to eat and feed our child or are we going to pay the car insurance and the registration that they chose food? They're going to risk it. So one night they're in the car going somewhere and the lights, boom, and the lights came on get pulled over. You've heard the words, haven't you? License, registration, insurance. <laughs> Be careful if you stand lest you fall. <laughs> The man handed his driver's license to the officer and said, I'm, I'm sorry, sir, but I, I know the registration is expired and I, and, and I don't have insurance. And, he, and here's why. I'm not making excuses, but a while back I was laid off my job and, and we just didn't have the money. It came down, do we feed our child or do we do, we do this? And we just, we just had to risk. So I understand you have to write me a ticket. I'm not making excuses. You have to do what you have to do. The officer said, wait here just a minute. Went back to his patrol car, ran all the information and came back. The man had broken the law. So he hands him a citation for expired registration. And on that, on that ticket was also the notification that he'd been written up because 
You can't drive without car insurance. But underneath the citation, the officer had slipped a $100 bill to help pay the man's ticket. You see, he had violated the law. Justice had to be served. But there came along one who paid the penalty for the mistake. And that's what's happened with you and I. You see, sin has been committed. Justice must be served where God is not righteous and holy as we sing about. But God himself came down in the man Jesus to pay for our sins and to do for us what we could not do. Jesus' death is the only acceptable payment for sin. He was punished because sin must be punished. Sin's a crime against God. But when we put our faith in him, Jesus' blood washes our sins away, makes us clean, forgives us of all of our sins, washes them away so that we are justified, so that there's no record of our offense. There's no record before God. And when you stand before Jesus on that day, when you stand before God on that day, on that judgment day, what will the Father see? He will see the blood of Jesus. You're righteous because you have received the righteousness of Jesus. That's what happens when we have an encounter with God. So getting back to how I started the message, as a church, we will be passionate about the gospel. Will you help? Will you help us be passionate about the gospel? Will you help us? Will you own the vision that we will make this church about the gospel of Jesus Christ? So we must keep Jesus at the center of everything we do. We must have opportunity in every service for people to put their faith in Christ, either publicly or at the altar with our prayer team. In every ministry, there must be opportunities for people to come to know Jesus. We are passionate about the gospel. Would you stand, everybody? Thank you for letting me share the word of God with you today. Thank you, Lord. With our heads bowed today in this service before we go, we're going to share in communion. But before we do that, with our heads bowed, if you hold steady, be very reverent. I wonder if there might be some in this room that you have been attempting salvation through your own efforts. Just like Nicodemus. You've been, you know, we need to get back in church. We need to start doing better. We need to try harder. You have been kind of focused on salvation by works. But today you realize that that's not even an option. And that the only way you're going to be saved is to come through Jesus, to put your faith in him and to receive his grace. With our heads bowed, I wonder if that's you in this room. If you lift your hand and say, Pastor Lord, pray for me. By the lifting of your hand today, I want to know Jesus. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. I see 15 hands, 16. Can we give God praise today? Can we give God praise today? Can we give God praise today? If you're sincere, today's the day that you're going to be born again. This is what Jesus was talking to Nicodemus. I want to be born again. I've been born physically, but now I'm going to be born spiritually. And we do this through faith. So I want you to pray loud. Me in church, you can pray with us too. Dear Jesus, I open the door of my heart and life and ask you to come in. Would you be my Savior and be my Lord? I put my faith in you. I believe that you died and rose again as payment for my sins. And Lord, as you know, 
I'm a sinner. And so I ask your forgiveness. With my mouth, I confess Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. And from this day forward, my desire is to serve you and know you. In Jesus' name, let's celebrate in this house. Come on, everybody. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Would you please take your communion cup at this time and let's share in communion as we close today. I want us to share together. Oftentimes we will read the scripture, but I think we've read enough today. Take the bread in your hand, if you will. The bread represents the broken body of Jesus on our behalf. Think about his suffering. Think about stripes on his back. Remember Jesus. That's what this is about. Remember him right now. Think about the crown of thorns on his head. The nails in his hands and his feet. The spear in his side. Think about Jesus and his suffering. He did that for us. We take this bread. We remember Jesus and his suffering. Can we take the bread together? Thank you, Lord. Now we want to remember the blood of Jesus. This is a cup of juice that represents the blood of Jesus that flowed from him as Jesus gave his life, blood. The Bible tells us that without the shedding of blood, there's no removal of sin. Jesus washes our sins away, his precious blood. He gave his life for us. Remember Jesus right now, would you? Remember him on the cross. Remember his suffering. We sing about the son of suffering. Remember his suffering. Remember his pain and his agony. Don't forget Jesus. That's what communion's about. Don't forget. Remember that it's all about Jesus. Remember that the salvation that we have today is only because of Jesus and his shed blood. So now let's take the cup together. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Thank you, Lord God. Once again, thank you for joining us for today's podcast. Special thanks to those of you who give so generously to make this ministry possible. If God has put it on your heart to give, please visit our website at pacificchristian.net. And if you enjoyed today's message, please consider subscribing, sharing with your friends on social media, and giving us a rating in iTunes. This will enable us to expand our reach and share the message of Christ with more people. Until next time, God bless you.